0: From the Three Story Method Podcast Network.
1: This is the Serial Fiction Show.
0: I'm Christine Daigle.
1: And I'm J.P. Reinbush.
0: Welcome to the Writer's Serial Fiction Show.
1: This is a companion podcast to the Reader's Serial Fiction Show. If you haven't listened to today's story, we'd encourage you to pause and go listen to Episode 6 of the Companion Podcast first can only play half the episode so if you like what you hear check out the full episode free on vella the link to the podcast and the vella episode are in the show notes oh christine so jp how's your uh how's your writing been
0: it has been slow because as we are recording this kindle vella just launched a few days ago so it's been all that kind of madness Woo, trying to get the word out and dropping this podcast and updating socials and websites and all of that. So I mean, the writing has been steady. So I have my first 10 episodes up for each serial on Vela. So that was exciting to see those. And one of them was in the top a hundred for like a minute. So that was cool. It
2: was you pretty know, cool. I got it excited.
0: Was, yeah, it was very cool. But it, you know, trying to look at these, uh, rankings and tags and i have no idea how any of it is working but it has been a lot of fun it is cool to see the readers pop up on your dashboard so i'm enjoying that process yeah yeah awesome. how about you How has your writing been going
1: um it is a direction that i guess is positive so with my not Vela project, like my actual like series uh, with a co-writer, I finally sent that out to beta readers, which uh, is great because now it is out of my hands. And nice. I need to continue working on that. Uh, for Vela purposes, we kind of took a mini break, um, but we are back on it. <laughs> We, we're still trying to figure out the process as to how we're writing. I think the A-B method, which is where you know I write, then he writes, um, it just wasn't working or it wasn't working with our flow because as we quickly recognized, if I finish writing a scene, then Jeff, in this case, has to go back and he has to read my scene and then he has to write his scene. And then he has to wait for me to write the next scene because we're trying to match voice in both character and ideally in style and that's just not going to work my current co-author project with the big series that i'm working on he writes the first draft and then i come in and edit and we're going to take that same approach for this yeah um, and that since we made that decision has been working out much better
0: that's typically the way that i write as well with as a co-author my co-author we've done a couple of things together, but right now our process is one of us does the first draft and then the other one comes in. So like I'm doing the first draft for the sci-fi and then he comes in and he's doing the first draft for the horror. And then I come in the very first thing we wrote together, we did opposite scenes, but they were different characters. We had two points of view. Gotcha. So yeah, I did the, the, the female pro tag and he did the male pro tag. So but we haven't done it that way again, because I just, I, I agree with you. I don't think that's efficient. I think it's more efficient to have someone draft and then someone second draft after that. Yeah. So I hope that I'm speeds sure you for up.
1: Someone, I'm for sure for someone somewhere out there that works for them in their process, but yeah, not yeah. for me. Very true. But yeah, I think it has actually sped up the progress because now I can go in and I can edit these and we were basically waiting until both of us finished 10 episodes. So he can focus on drafting and I can focus on making it as pretty as possible. And then we can decide what we're going to do from there. But yeah, so it's weird because now I don't have another project that I'm not drafting on. So now I'm like, do I add that do i add another project to draft on because i still want that creative outlet uh, but i know that i have limits and i don't want to skedaddle so i'm just taking things as they come (laughs) that's that's what i'm doing so are you planning to
0: put that up on vela in the near future or just kind of seeing where you're at and whenever it's ready you're putting it up in the
1: near future but we're probably looking at like a month at the earliest. And that's I don't know if that's like a conservative guess or not. Uh we could probably take an aggressive approach, but what does it matter? Like yeah we kind of I think we're both those kind of people that we want to make sure that we have a good product to put forward. And you know, maybe that's not the best for Vela because you kind of have to like get stuff churning every week. But I think once we get these first 10 episodes in a place that we're both really happy with then the rest we're hoping will flow, but we'll see. I
0: uh-huh. think that's a good plan. I think product, you know, speaks for itself, the quality of the product. I think that is a smart plan and just letting that FOMO of early days go and getting it yeah. there. When and it's by ready. no
1: means am I saying that other people's Kindle stuff is coming out with lower quality. I'm just saying that Our approach is we're trying to make it as pretty as possible. And I know that some people's approaches are just posting it. And that doesn't mean that there's lower quality. It just means that I would make lower quality product and I exactly. Everyone's process
0: is is different, right? Some people are just naturally faster writers than others. And I think that's all totally fine. So I'm just relieved that the launch is over. I was telling you earlier that the day it launched, I was in very, very Northern Ontario with no internet. (laughs) So, I had to drive mm-hmm. 30 minutes to a cafe to get some Wi Fi and uh, do all the launch stuff. And I was there for like three hours just buying donuts. You know, so
2: like I yeah. had to
0: leave now before these people murder me for taking up their one outdoor table during COVID while I'm stealing their Wi Fi. So, that was a fun experience. But everything got up. And yeah, I'm just back home now and just so grateful to be on city internet. I have never been. So grateful for fast internet in my life. Okay. Should let's we get into it. To our author, let's go. Woo. As a starting off point, we've looked at the scene using some of the basics from Three Story Method. You don't need to be familiar with Three Story Method for this podcast, but if you want to learn more about it, the link is in the show notes. With us today is Gregor Fishbone. We'll be discussing his YA mythic fantasy serial, Becoming Hercules. So we're going to talk a little bit about craft. So in your blurb, you talk about redemption of honor. Uh, And in the first episode, it appears that having Peneake see Pira as honorable is important to her. And maybe Pira wants to maintain her pride. Is this uh, a major theme in your book or just in this scene?
3: Honor is a major theme. And, and related to Pyrrha, she has a, a view of herself. She, she has a view of her current self and a view of her future self. And doesn't really have a path to get there. And, and that's going to become very important. She's, she's going to, in, in, in this initial uh, series of, of episodes, she's, she's going to realize that her future is not what she thinks it's going to be. And, and that's, that's, going to, that's going to set her off on an arc. Uh, so, so that's, that there's going to be some self-knowledge there.
1: A theme that I also picked up a little bit on in the scene was, um, in regard to family. Uh, It seems that she seems to be willing to go to the ends of the earth for her younger, uh, sister, but she's also willing to trust her older one with her life. Um, and I think both kind of speak to the power and strength of familial bonds. Do you, do you plan on pursuing that kind of like familial bond theme a little deeper? Uh, definitely. There, there, there are lots of, of siblings um,
3: that are involved. There, there are three main characters, and each one has a, has a different sibling relationship that, that's being explored. So with Pira, she, has, she, has, she comes from a large family. She, there's a family of six. Uh, but the, the three youngest are pretty much a trio that are inseparable. And yeah, like, like, like you said, they, the, she, she trusts her brother. Um, she's worshiped by her, her younger sister. And, and those two factors push her into trouble because she, she wants to be the, the, the hero that her, her sister thinks she is. And she wants to help her brother, even if he, his, his schemes are dangerous and, ill-advised and based on superstitious nonsense. She'll, she'll go along with it because, um, you know, he's, he's her brother. So, you know, you gotta, you got you to gotta support him.
0: Yeah, and it seemed like that was a lot of her motivation, just to be the invincible older, older sister, to show her bravery so that her siblings are, are proud of her. Uh, what do you see as her motivation throughout her, her arc or her actions?
3: Uh, throughout her arc, she, she, has, she has this vision of herself that's a little overblown. Uh, she sees herself as becoming uh, a princess and a queen and, and having all this power. And she, she has a role model in, in, in her, her history, who was um, Eno, who came from Thebes and became a queen of Orchimedes. And things happened. And, and, and there, there are certain prophecies that she believes in that, that, that are not actually prophecies. But she's going to, she's going to learn that, that things, things are not quite destined for her as she thinks, but still uh, there's, there's some important things that she needs to do. Uh, and, it's, and it's going to be more about what she does rather than what she, the image of what she becomes.
1: I'm curious on how much of this, um, as you're writing, you you kind of, like, think about how much of it is just internalized. But another aspect of motivations is kind of, like, the lies that characters tell themselves. And especially with this main character, we kind of see that she has to be invincible to her younger sister and kind of be proud of her or kind of, like, prove a point to her. Um, is that something that you kind of think through as you're is writing it, or is that just kind of internalized?
3: I think a lot of it is, is internalized, and, and, and I don't think it's, it's that you know, she's showing off for Heniaki. I think that Henyaki has this vision of her, and, and I think Heniaki really is the, the driver of that. Heniaki is in control of Pira wanting to be this person for her sister. So, yes, yeah, it's, 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 it's kind of funny that, that you, you, when, you, when you say internalize it, I think that's, ex- that's exactly how it is because you have to, you have to internalize it from both directions um, and think of it as a, as a relationship in addition to thinking of individual characters.
0: Yeah, so in uh, regards to that, so she wants to be a princess, she wants people to be proud of her, she wants to have this glorious destiny. What does she need? Does she need to learn something about family bonds or what do you see as her needing
3: to learn? Uh, she needs to accept that she's not invincible and, and that things aren't just going to happen to her. Uh, she's, she's thinking that, that, that she can coast by and if she has this great destiny, it'll just happen. And she needs to realize that she's got to put the work in.
1: Uh, in terms of... When we review this scene through the the three C's method, obviously we have pira as the protagonist, and um, we were trying to look at like who would be the antagonist of the scene, and it may either be Lycomedes with his wants of the pomegranate fruit and kind of like pushing pira to do what she needs to, or just the overall looming environment. But I, I was kind of curious on what your thoughts are on like what the antagonist of the scene is and what their wants and needs are that are contradictory to the protag.
3: Mm. Uh, you know, it's, 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 it's a little unusual in that there's, there's no obvious character there. Who's, who's presenting them with, with obstacles. And I th- I'm thinking this is, this is because this is, she's, she's going to have a vision. And, and, I, and it's not a spoiler because it's in the it's in the fir- one of the the first three episodes, which will be available to readers. And I think the antagonists are supernatural. I think I think they've they've set up a situation where where for their purposes they need they need something to happen that the human characters don't necessarily. We'll, we'll, we'll find as, a, as their obstacle in, in, in to, to getting what they think that they want
0: oh god's antagonizing humans I think that's pretty on point with both um, myths
3: yeah.
2: <laughs> excellent so in this scene
0: there seems to be conflict around getting the fruit so that seems to be the big scene and she wants to get the fruit but a bull might attack her and then she chooses to risk the bull attack and then when she gets there, the consequence, or it's, I guess it's kind of a cliffhanger, is that some mysterious maidens appear. So that's what happens when she's brave enough. So JP had a really astute observation, so I'm going to let you talk about that.
1: Sure. Um, so I don't know how familiar you are with the like three-story method, but in regards to that, in a scene, you have a conflict choice and consequence. So for us, we, we kind of look at your scene and we kind of try to break it down in those aspects. So to Christine's point she she saw you know we want to get the fruit the bull is kind of the choice or the risk and then obviously at the end we can run into those maidens that's that consequence i noticed that there was a really strong tonal shift which for me conflict always comes in in moments where you know we have a established normal at the beginning regardless of how odd, abnormal that may be in the previous scene and then something happens or a shift happens and there was a moment where everything kind of seems lighthearted where they're playing around they're talking about like their their plan moving forward and then out of nowhere not out of nowhere but as a tonal shift they just kind of recognize this looming tree and you almost feel this weight as a reader to me that was a really strong conflict choice i don't by conflict choice i mean a choice in creating a conflict and not the choice of the scene but I was just curious if that was like an intentional shift in tone that you had put in there, or um, if that just is another thing that kind of comes natural. Uh, no,
3: that was that was intentional. I'm glad you picked up on it um, because you you could tell that a lot of the, the banter and lightness uh, was was sort of procrastination, was sort of sort of on their on their part realizing that there's a danger ahead and wanting to just delay it as much as possible until the moment where they just ran out of conversation and and and, and just okay now this is it we have to go do this thing and it's going to be very dangerous and then and then there's there's a there's a moment later in the episode where there's a little foreshadowing of some some supernatural thing is about to happen before suddenly now supernatural thing happens
0: i really liked it too with their age it felt like almost going from a shift from play to reality so they were playing about it and pretending and then it shifted into okay this is go time this is real and then the weight of it got really heavy on them
3: yeah yeah exactly uh this this is this is a this is a life or death situation that they're choosing to put themselves in for not a whole lot of apparent gain um there's there's from like like immediately point of view he has it, it, it's going to be real. You know, he has some superstitions that are driving him and Pira's is going along with it. So
2: we'll, yeah, that that'll be a lot of fun. Thanks.
1: So some more crafty questions. Um, how far ahead are you planning or how far ahead have you planned for this series?
3: So this is uh, when I was writing the novel, uh, the, the, the character Pira was 14, uh, and this was a little flashback section to, to when she was 10. So I have four years planned out, <laughs> at least, uh, until that day, uh, when she's 14, where, where all, lots of momentous things are happening. So I, I'm building toward uh, an event four years in the future. And, and the series is going to jump, initially it's going to jump two years ahead. Uh, and we're going to explore what happens in that period. But it's all working toward a specific event in a specific day that's four years ahead of this initial set of episodes.
2: So, do you have in mind a number of episodes that you'd like to hit, or do you think it's
3: just going to be ongoing? I'm doing it open ended because. I'm, I'm having fun with it, and, and I feel like as, as long as I'm having fun with it, readers will have fun with it. So as, as I've written the, the first, I've written the first 15 or so, uh, and a lot of things have been a revelation to me that I wasn't expecting to happen even in those first 15 episodes, so I'm sure uh, between that and whatever the eventual end will be, I'm in for a lot of surprises. I'm in for as many surprises as, as anyone else.
0: So it sounds like you have it somewhat planned out, but you're also pantsing some of it. Do you, so yeah. are, you, are you a planter? Do you kind of be- blend the outlining I, and, the, and the panting?
3: I, I, I like the, um, instead, of, instead of plotting and panting, I like architecting and gardening. And, and I think I'm a gardener. So I, I, I plant the seeds. I know what the seeds are, but what comes up might, might not be what I'm expecting. And then, and then you just need to cultivate uh, I, I might choose to cultivate a part of the garden and let another one go to weed. Just that, you know, as, as, as you see, you know, what, what, what it is, rather than being an architect where you, you put up the, the framework and, and have the plans and the blueprints and pretty much know what to expect.
1: Would, would you say that those seeds then are, you know, all your knowledge and understanding within the classical mythology and you're using that to kind of drive the story?
3: Definitely, those are seeds, and and next week I could read something new, and and there's a new seed, and it changes everything. Because because I, I don't I don't yet have a comprehensive, uh you know, and I don't think anyone has really that much of a comprehensive. There are people who study Greek mythology for their entire lives, uh, and they don't get all of it uh, because there's 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 just so much. Uh, there's 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 the archaeological record. And there's anthropology, and there's, there are different fields that intersect with, uh, with our, with our and, and change our understanding uh, of what these stories were and what these stories could be. Uh, so, so, yeah, but those, those seeds, I have a, if I have a bag of seeds, uh, I'm always getting more seeds. So, so the garden is always going in different directions.
0: So you're reading a lot of different mythologies as you go on. Do you have any books or methods about craft or serials that you've been using to help you along with the prof- process?
3: It's been, it's been a while since I've gone back to the craft book. I, I've always liked Stephen King's On Writing. Terry Brooks has a, a book called Sometimes the Magic Works, uh, which, is, which is geared towards fantasy. there's it's it, it's it's a lot of you know this feels right and, and 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 i and i have some instincts that i'm going with uh and i and i and it comes out looking like i've planned it that way so I, I feel good about it
0: i think that was neil gaiman who said that right how do you write it do a first draft and go back and make sure
3: oh yeah it yeah, looks you know, like
0: you were spo- it was supposed to come out that way all along it-
3: well, his his first drafts are, are you know, brilliant. Uh, my, my, my first drafts are, you know, a process. Um, yeah, Neil Gaiman is is awesome. Yeah,
2: my first drafts are a process too. Same.
3: They-
1: so I know that as we're recording this, Vela has yet to be officially released, but what does your ideal release schedule look like for the serial?
3: So I'm looking to... Publish weekly, just simply because I, I I can commit to writing one of these episodes every week, uh, regardless of what else is going on in my life, and I and I don't want I don't want to get behind. I don't want to miss something that readers are expecting, uh, and I don't want to I don't want to disappoint someone who's you know okay I'm logged in I'm it's, it's the day the episode is not here, uh, and 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 there's no explanation. And I don't, I don't know that that is going to give us an opportunity to provide an explanation to to say, you know, hey, you know, you're you're expecting something and it's not here, and I'm sorry, I have all kinds of crazy things happening in my life, and here's why, but here's when it's coming. I don't think we're going to get that. There's just going to be silence. It's going to be like radio silence from the office, and I don't want that. I I want, I want to have, be able to say, every Monday there's going to be a new episode, and just have that happen. Yeah, I
0: think that's crucial. I think that's crucial maintaining consistency so that you can build your readership that way. Do you have a target word count in mind for your episodes?
3: I'm trying to hit between a thousand and two thousand. Some have gone over two thousand. Nothing has been under a thousand so far. Um but I, I think that's that's around the sweet spot. And it's and it's and I can get a lot of story in uh into that word length. I can I can have a lot of things happen. So that the the uh, the episode provides value and and is a lot of fun. Uh, and, and hopefully it's just, it's you know, it's a small bite of story that, that people will just, you know, be able to consume and look forward to the next.
1: What would you say to someone who is looking to start a serial?
3: I'd say, I'd say think of it as a serial. Don't think of it as a chapter in a novel. Um, and, and, and as I go, I'm, I'm, I'm picking up, you know, I think, I think a lot of lessons in that as well. Um, the, these, these first 3 episodes that I'm putting up are you know were were this flashback from within a novel but the, the ones I'm writing now around episode 10 11 12 13 I am I'm am I'm, I'm, I'm writing them fresh as serial episodes and, and you know putting in, in cliffhangers and acting and it's it's going to it's going to feel it's going to feel a little different uh, and hopefully it won't be too tonally different, but, but and, and will blend in with what came before. But, but I think, I think it's, it, it's writing cereals is, is like developing a, a muscle for writing cereal. And, and as you do it, you, you'll, you'll get better at it.
2: Yeah. And I think the cliffhangers are so important. Like you said, and you
0: did a great job uh, in that first episode, leaving with the cliffhanger. Yeah, are, are there different types of cliffhangers that you use, or do you have thoughts on that? Or is it just kind of whatever comes up naturally that seems suspenseful?
3: I, you know, it, when, when I think of cliffhangers, of I, I just think of the old Batman series, where we at, you know, it, it was, it was, it was, it was present these questions and same bad time, same bad channel, I'll come back. And I'm probably going to do something like that in the author's note, of, you know, present these questions and
2: these
3: you know come back to that uh, but yeah it's it i i don't i don't want it to be to seem like a cliffhanger just for the sake of having a cliffhanger you know the, the characters are walking down the street and then suddenly a hole opens up and they fall in <laughs> just for no reason um it, it, it it's got to seem natural yeah
1: that was actually a really fun thing i noticed in your author note because for some reason, when I read these notes, I always read them in, like, that transatlantic trans- uh, question, like, from the 1940s. Like, oh, are these mysterious visitors from another world? And, at, like, the way that it was written was just a really fun and engaging way. Um, I think that the writers should definitely take note of how you wrote this author's note.
2: Thank you. Yeah. Excellent. I think that's all our questions. Awesome. So thanks again for joining us.
3: You're oh, good. thank you. I had a
1: lot of fun. Thanks. Our thanks today to Greg R. Fishbone for letting us break down their episode. Finally, we want to thank you for listening to the Writer's Serial Fiction Show. If you know someone who might enjoy the show, send them your favorite episode link. And if you want to leave an Apple podcast review, we read all of them and use your suggestion. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks, and we'll see you next time with another Serial Fiction episode. And that's, and that's a wrap.
0: you name things like your cars
1: no not my car but like if something has a voice i give it a name even if it's like an animal making noises i'll give it a Aww. name
2: <laughs>